For those of you that don't know me, I'm Dr. Helming. I teach in the psychology department. And uh, Aaron asked me to come up today and introduce our speaker because he has been a pivotal person in my own life uh, long before some of you were ever born. Um, Chris and I are friends from high school. In high school I, and in life, I didn't grow up attending church. And I knew Chris because we were in classes together. I used to sit next to him in math class, among others. And Chris is very genuinely Christian and also very genuinely a normal person. So he wasn't weird, um, but he also lives his faith very much out there and publicly and is, if you've read his book, Wanted, he is everything that he talks about in that book. There isn't fake Christian and Christian mask in him that I ever saw. And so knowing him in high school allowed me in college um, to become a believer and trust Christ because I knew someone like Chris who showed me it was worthwhile and you could be a normal person who was a Christian, which now lets me be here with you guys teaching you psychology. Um, so I'm super excited that Chris is here and that you guys get a chance to meet him and know him and hear about how God has been using him um, in lives all over the place, but especially in Washington. Um, and I'm really excited that Ramon is here, who I got to meet last night, as someone who can speak about the way that Chris has been working in his life and the way that God has been working in both of them through their ministry together. So if you guys want to come on up here. Good morning. I'm used to small rooms and lockdown facilities where we're all sitting in a few plastic chairs and most people have their toes sticking out of rubber slippers, so this is a little bit intimidating. Um, I can't even see some of you all. Um, but it's an honor to be here um, with my brother and my friend, uh, Ramon Luna. You're going to hear more of his story in just a minute and how it overlaps with mine. Um, yeah, with talks, you have to give titles and you have to put slides together. It's a little tricky. In the jail, we can kind of improv and have a conversation. Um, but the talk we have put together this morning is called Relationship with the Underground. Leads to repentance. And the underground, for me, has been the place that is kind of like the subconscious of our society. Everything where we've repressed, everything that is in ourselves, especially as good Christian kids. I grew up in an environment with a lot of this, kind of really saccharine, clean Bible studies constantly. I grew up kind of over-churched in a suburban church in Southern California. Would anyone here relate to the word over-churched? Anybody? Like church every day since you're a little kid, plus youth group, maybe family devotionals, evening <sighs> services. That was my experience. And one of the good things about being over-churched, though, is that you hear a lot of the red letters. You hear the teachings of Jesus over and over and over. And the stories of Jesus enchanted me. Because on one hand, I had lived in a very safe bubble of a suburban home and, and family, but you hear about the story of Jesus who's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, the kind of people that I was not allowed to be with, especially in junior high and high school, where youth groups are very much about shoring up and protecting our, our, our church youth. And so when I'd hear invitations over and over growing up, just raise your hand tonight if you want to follow Jesus and you want to say yes. All growing up, I was like, hell yeah. I want to because this guy was awesome. I thought this guy was going to take us off onto an adventure that I wanted to say yes. Like They were like recruiting. We were going to go do this. But as years went on, I think a frustration grew in me because I realized follow Jesus was code for be a good kid, 
don't have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and keep coming back on Sundays. And hopefully you'll go to a Christian college. That's what following Jesus really was. And I think I felt frustrated because I actually wanted to see the dead raised. I want to move around with this revolutionary throughout the edges of the empire. I wanted to see healed wounds. I wanted to mix with the kind of people that society pushed off to the edges of the lepers and those who were bleeding. It just seemed like the most wonderful movement of social activism and a Netflix adventure film and the most wonderful kind of love story I could ever be a part of. And so this desire to follow Jesus was growing in the very place telling me about Jesus. But I realized there was also a mixed story. For instance, the community that raised me that was so into Jesus and all of his red letters of teaching of forgiveness was very into when it was time for politics, when it was time for actually dealing with the world around us, not this world, the flannel graphs and the Sunday school stories, but to deal with our world, it wasn't very forgiving. I was part of a culture that would go home from Sunday worship and would talk about supporting wars, mass bloodshed in other countries, and that was very supportive of the death penalty. And the word that really hit me one time when I was a little kid is my parents came home from a movie early. Does anyone remember growing up and having uh, babysitters and your parents went out to a movie and you got to go do something fun? You ever had your parents come home early? It's like, what's, what's the matter? My, my dad said, ah, oh, we, we, we just had to leave the movie early. It was, he was, I, could, I could feel the disgust. And as a little kid, I remember my father's disgust. Like, what, what, what was the matter? Why, why'd you move the film early? Well, it was just this movie where they, I felt like they wanted to make us feel sorry for a criminal. And I remember that really sticking with me for years as a little kid, thinking, isn't that what we talk about in all our Bible studies and our worship songs about how mighty and magnificent the forgiveness and the grace of God is? And so how does that not apply to people who, are, who have done bad things, who are sinners? Is that we all believe that we're sinners saved by grace? And so I think I started to feel that tension that I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to see the mercy of God. And yet the religion that raised me didn't really see that apply. And I wanted to. So I think that's part of my hunger that led me, no doubt, up to Northwest Washington in the Skagit Valley to study the Bible, not in a seminary, but with a seminarian professor who was writing a book in a small county jail. And that's the book I recommend anyone to buy it and study if anyone wants to go into seminary. It's called Reading the Bible with the Damned. So I went to a county jail not to save souls, not to tell folks about Jesus, but I wanted to still go deeper in the scriptures but I felt like maybe I needed to read the scriptures not in the bubble I grew up in, but I needed to read the Bible among the very people that Jesus was speaking to in the first place. Does that make sense? To get to its original context. And when I was in these Bible studies in the small county jail, what I didn't expect is that I would fall in love with these folks, especially the guys who were my age, who had tattoos on their faces and on their necks. They were funny. And they pointed out things in the Gospels that helped me make parallels between who the prostitutes and the tax collectors would be in that time. And they were the guides to show me what the Bible would look in our time. And they, 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 they invited me to see parallels between what it would look like with Jesus sitting down at a meth house with meth dealers and some of the folks who were involved in that. And it, suddenly the Gospel became very radical and very beautiful. And the folks reading the Bible with me in the jail became my fellow seminary students. And they helped me imagine what discipleship would look like in our day and age they would help me follow through on following Jesus. I began to see the cross differently as a place of capital punishment 
And who are the people that were killed regularly in the Roman Empire? Who are the people who are hunted down and propped up as the bad guys in our society? What would it look like to see the face of God positioned in the place of scorn of the cross of our time? I started to realize I was in a facility that embodied the very hell I grew up hearing about in sermons, about the souls cast off that are not obedient, that don't accept the mercy of God. The jails started to really strike me as, this is kind of a the society's way of creating a hell. And so a whole new theology was building in me of, well, that means if we're going in and loving these guys in hell, and I really love those in hell, maybe I started to feel God's love that was very different than the one I grew up in. Instead of a warden God, saying some people go to one place because they're bad and rewarding those who are good, I felt the love of God charging into hell itself, and embodying a new theology, and that the souls who were condemned became my friends. And I experienced in these one-on-one -on -one visitation rooms, even though I didn't come as a pastor, they called me pastor, which was kind of awkward because that was a bad word for me for a while. I'm like, no, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm, a, I'm an activist, grassroots theologian. <laughs> and they'd be like, I don't know what the hell that is, bro. You're my pastor. <laughs> and so I had to kind of grapple with that and realize, man, my grandmother prayed every day growing up that I, the Lord would make me a missionary or a pastor. And I, didn't, I don't think my grandmother thought that the ones that God would use to fulfill that ordination on my life. Most of them had felony records. But I was ordained from below in a new way. But in these rooms of prayer, I experienced a kind of friendship, tears, joy, laughter, deep conversations that were better than anything I'd had in my youth groups. I had good people in my youth groups. I had good friends, but it was still kind of nice. But there's something raw and free and hilarious and, and full of repentance that I'd never experienced growing up. And one of the things that I learned, their stories, I learned about the communities of migrant workers that I was taught. I mean, I, I was raised in a time where uh, someone was running for president that was really big on a wall back then, Buchanan, and I was learned to be taught to be afraid of a certain group. But as I met these guys in jail, they became my friends, and I, they helped me see the connections between being migrant kids and being afraid of the law and how much privilege I had or that I came to be aligned with the law. Invited me out into my community to understand what the lives of those who are picking in the fields. And visited hospitals after drive-by shootings, helped guys get into college, because that's one thing I could offer them, is I know how to do my homework. Helping them become fathers even when I didn't know how. They invited me into their lives, and following Jesus became fun. It became exciting. I ended up living with several guys in an old, creaky ministry building for years, and one of them is Ramon, you recognize in the upper right there. And so I met Ramon, First, like my, meet most of my friends in the jail. Relationship with the underground. This is part of what's transforming me. And so I want to pass it to Ramon now to tell about the Bible study where we first met in the jail. And, and Ramon stepped up to the plate in a way that I'd never had. Because when I finally got to lead a Bible study, I normally just went in and led worship because I was a worship leader in my youth group, so I could do that. But when Bob, after one year, had to travel, and he said, why don't you lead a Bible study? I thought, what am I going to lead a Bible study on? And I thought, oh, I know. I'll lead a Bible study on that passage I have always argued about with my dad, about doesn't Jesus t teach us to forgive our enemies and not stand with condemnation and death and the law? And we'd argue about that. Well, that's not what Jesus meant for our time, et cetera, et cetera. I thought, I wonder if even guys in prison are more ready to accept Jesus' teaching, forgiving our enemies, than the Christian culture that raised me. And so that was the Bible study we began with. Oh, man. When I first... 
saw you in that Bible study, I, I think it was the very first time that I've actually felt um, broken. Um, and I, I, I had my reasons. Um, I know the homies, you know, they're, they're right now, I mean, at this point now still, they're your biggest fans, you know, and I mean, at that moment, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm your biggest hater there, you know? And when I saw you in that Bible study, it, it really broke my, my heart because I used to hate on you so much when, when the homies used to talk about you. And I used to be like, man, F that guy and his God, you know? And the only reason I did that is because, you know, my image of God that I had was shattered when I was 10 years old because, you know, I was going to be executed. My dad had um, enemies, and um, they took me out into the desert and... You know, this, my dad's best friend took me out and he was going to execute me. And he put a band over my head. And I mean, I, had, I felt the barrel behind my head. And so I knew I was going to die. And that image that I had of God, and I knew that my, my father was okay with that. I wasn't supposed to live that day. You know, it was, was, it was shattered. So every time I, I, I thought about God, um, I, I didn't see God for who he is. Even though now I am to prove that God is who he said he is. But back then <clears throat> I saw my father in him so but when I saw you and you invited me to forgive um, that girl that you know claimed that we you know that uh, me and, and some other guys raped her kidnapped her and so I was being charged with first degree rape burglary and kidnapping and I mean I didn't even know this girl but it was the very thing that, I mean I've done so many things that could have I could have ended up in prison for life and that one thing that I didn't even you know, put me in there. But when you invited me to, to forgive that girl, um, it, it, I, my heart broke because, you know, you, you talk about this God that, you know, the oceans listen to. I mean, he just says it in the open, you know. And my, you know, and if an ocean can open, how my, you know, my heart, how, how come my heart is only this big, you know. And when you invited me to forgive this girl, I, I felt God's voice. You know, I didn't hear him, but I felt his voice saying, you know, you can forgive any, whoever you want, but I want you to forgive the men who, who murdered your brother. And I look back now, and it's blank. I don't, I don't remember the hate, and I, I've tried a couple times, and I stopped doing that because it's, I feel like it's very dangerous, but I, it's blank. I don't remember the, the hate, and I know God took that from me, but I'm sure he knew that I couldn't do it on my own. But now I've learned to forgive so many other people who've hurt me in life, and it, it, it's amazing the joy that comes um, after. So this, this blew me away when Ramon was someone in this Bible study that just stepped up to the bat at this initial words of Jesus to forgive our enemies that just seemed so impossible and got justified why that doesn't apply to today. And he had real enemies, and he forgave someone who'd really hurt him someone who was accusing him, and then someone who murdered his brother. And I felt so convicted by that. Like, I wanted to get closer to repentance that beautiful. I wanted to be close to somebody. It was like, almost like raising the dead. These are folks who can take Jesus' word seriously. And I felt like I need to be in relationship with these, these guys. Ramon actually got out a few weeks later. That weird coincidence, maybe, that like after he forgave this woman, she retracted her statement just within weeks, and he was free instead of being locked up for 30 years. And Ramon came and lived with us. And when he came to live with us, it was interesting. About two years went by. I'd seen him in like a convertible driving around town. He got out. He was doing well. He had a job. 
He was even more handsome than he is now, so he had no trouble with the ladies. Uh, and I'd, I'd see him in cars around town. I'm like, man, that's that dude that forgave his enemies. I want to be friends with that guy. And, but he was just caught up in more of, of, of the fast life. But then he started coming around the building finally, the building where we lived. And this is the next layer of repentance I learned with Ramon, is when he came and started hanging out with a bunch of white folks, and a bunch of white folks that actually liked kale, and that strummed acoustic guitars late into the night and drank tea and talked about theology, like the last place that this guy would want to hang out. And he started hanging out with us, and one day he caught me in the kitchen, and Ramon said something that stuck with me. He's like, man, I, um, I already got a job. I'm not on drugs. I, I, I want to I live here with you, though, and, and, and here's why. It's not because I, I, I'm homeless, I have a place to stay, but I don't really deal with a, a meth addiction or anything, but honestly, bro, and here's the profanity portion of the program, uh, Ramon said, I'm just tired of being an asshole and spending my money on stupid shit. <laughs> it made me laugh when I heard that, but it stuck with me for years, like, man, isn't that true for all of us? What, 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 a, what a beautiful line of repentance to learn from the underground. How true could that be of, of, uh, of Christian America? To say, hey, we've, we're not homeless, we're not on drugs, but honestly, God, like, I'm just tired of being an asshole and spending my money on stupid stuff. As individuals, without consumerism, as a nation, on how much money we spend on weapons and on walls, to think, God, I, I want to learn a new way of life. And that Ramon said, and so I can't just do that on my own, I need to like, live with people differently than me if I'm gonna learn a new way of life. And I feel like if that's one thing you can take away from our talk today, it's that we need to live with and share life with those who are on the opposite side of these divides to learn a new way of life. And that brings out repentance. I've unlearned some of my cultural barriers and blind sides as I've entered into relationship with those in the underground. And it's brought me into my own repentance. And I saw that repentance happening in Ramon. And then he was also crossing that cultural boundary out of prison and even living with people different than him. So I want to ask you, Ramon, what was it like moving in and living with people so differently than you? What was happening in you that you would put yourself in that uncomfortable position? Um, it was, uh, I think what changed, changed me and made me walk to that building that I've cursed <laughs> for so long. Um, was, uh, I, stopped, I stopped liking all the things after, after getting out of that jail cell I, and couldn't, couldn't cope with hate anymore. I started having feelings again. And I remember when my brother, um, Cruz, came to me one time, and it was right after an MMA fight that I had come, came from. And I had, so I had a lot of money in my pocket and everything. I got paid. It was pro, pro fighting already, and so I got paid. And he asked me um, if, if, if he could borrow a little bit of money so he can buy kids, uh, his kids uh, some diapers. And I still had a bunch of shit in my heart and I just I, I completely denied my brother and you know knowing that I had money in my hand I, I just said I didn't have any money and I couldn't help him and stuff but after I did that I, I couldn't stop wondering what what his kids um, wore that day you know like whether they slept naked or not or because of the lack of diapers and stuff and so I started having feelings again and, and I hear you know, people coming off of meth and, you know, or, you know, what meth does to you is it takes your ability to love, care, feel joy, you know, and, and to laugh and everything. And, 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 but once they either get locked up or, or they get sober, you know, those emotions come back. But, I mean, my, my whole life I've been 
it's over, you know. And, but I had no feelings. My feeling, my, I was numb, completely numb since I was 10 years old. I had no feelings, man. And that's why fighting for me was like one of the emotions that I've, that I've actually loved, you know, getting into these gangs and feeling like I was going to get caught. It was some, like a physical rush. But no love, no, not, nothing but rage and it's kind of like meth, but I was sober. So how do you recover from that, you know? But after getting out of that prison and forgiving that, uh, his name's Ivan, um, my brother's murder, forgiving that guy, I just started having all these feelings, you know? Mm. I was broken. I mean, just to feel emotional hurt felt really good to me, you know? And I was in love with that. And I saw you guys, I mean, praying after food and I mean, praying before you eat and praying before you go to bed and how much love you guys show to each other. And I didn't know that. And I learned how to, living with you guys, I learned uh, what it's like to, to, to love because it feels like losing. When you love, because when, you know, I, I see Jesus saying, don't, you know, forgive your enemies, it's easy, but love, to love your enemy. Um, I learned what it's like to, I've seen my, now that I work with you and, and everything, I've seen my own enemies. You know, it's so bad right now that I actually carry narcos because right now the heroin and the meth is so bad that even the gang members are dying of this stuff. And I've run into a few enemies of mine, old enemies. And, 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 and it's not the same. When you, when you see your enemy succeed in, on ruining your life, then you, when you see your enemy take his breath for the very last time, um, it really changed me completely. And um, yeah, I love, feels like losing. So Ramon was, was teaching us a whole new transformation happening inside of him while we were living together and several others living us together. It's a lot of the stories that are in my book, if, if you want to pick it up and learn more about what we can fit in this talk right now. We're also starting a, a small coffee roasting enterprise, Underground Coffee, which is still available. And uh, one of the guys here that Ramon was learning how to coffee roast with us. We were really into French press coffee and premium <coughs> coffees. And, and a guy came out of prison named Zach, and he used to be a meth cook. And he said he wanted to work with us, and we wanted to start this enterprise hiring guys out of prison. And we thought, well, coffee roasting, cooking meth, <laughs> transferable skills. <Yeah>. Transferable. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Ramon and Zach got along so well. And, and then we even later found out that uh, the, the Zach was a former white supremacist. And so what was that like in being in friendship with Zach? Did that even factor in? When I first met Zach, um, I don't think I've, I mean, as, as scary as he looks and all the tattoos on his body, he's one of the most kindest person I've ever met in my life. And he treated me like as if I was his little brother. And I didn't even know he was a Nazi, honestly. If I would have known before I even met him, I would have been on ninja mode the whole time. <laughs> you know? Like, who's the threat? Who is it? <laughs> what I could use for weapons? But... I felt, I felt so, I, I didn't have my armor on, around him, you know. And it fell away so quickly, I only learned later about how, how much of a, a white supremacist ideology our, our friend had come from, but in his friendship with Ramon and their laughter in the basement and screwing up dark roast and light roast together <laughs> and messing up the bags, that all, that all that fell away and repentance was happening. It was beautiful, and I felt so moved by that. By that. And I, I look at what's happening in our country right now, I thought white supremacy was something that was just in prisons, and it's, and it's on the rise again in our culture. And I feel like, once again, we as white American Christians can learn the beauty and the art of repentance. 
that's happening oftentimes much more often in the underground. And the folks that flocked to Jesus oftentimes were not the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, but the people that were labeled sinners were the ones who were most responsive to the beautiful challenge in the life of Jesus. And I feel like our salvation as the church and those of us who were raised in the temple are being called out of the temple to experience following Jesus amongst the very people that we thought maybe we need to avoid are probably going to be our teachers. And I want to invite you into that, that possibility that even if we've gone to a Christian college, maybe we don't have the answers to go share with the world. But that we can follow Jesus out of the temple in the same way Jesus is calling people out of the tombs. He's calling us both out of the underground and out of the temple and into his more beautiful way and that we need one another. And a mutual repentance happens. And so now Ramon has, it's, it's fun, Ramon and I get to work together. And remember that guy that Ramon just said that he, uh, he denied him that money and he didn't have compassion for his own brother and that convict, convicted him that he was tired of being a jerk and, and spending his money on selfish things instead of helping them? Well, that brother just got out of prison four months ago. That's Cruz on the right. And what's it been like now seeing something happen in your <coughs> brother and you accompanying him in any way? Oh, that did a big change in me. Um... I was actually mad at him the whole time he was in prison because I was already working with uh, Tierra Nueva and underground and everything. So I already knew what, it's like, what it was like to, to, to help others and, and, and be kind. And uh, my brother used to be a drug dealer, a big drug dealer. So, I mean, he poisoned people that I've shoved Narcans in, into, you know, people that, that we've rescued. And, you know, people died of, 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 I'm sure, some of the guys that overdosed or came from his... You know, they bought off of his stuff. And, and I used to tell you how, you know, you tell that son of a bee, you know, if he wants to really help me, you know, tell him to come preach to these kids or tell me to come, you know, help me with these kids because I do a lot of ministry with a bunch of um, kids that are <clears throat> living on the streets and stuff. And, but when he came out, man, I had no clue that he read the whole Bible in there. And, and he knows more about Scripture than I do. And it, it changed me because he did the opposite of what I thought he would ever become. Um, and I had to, I swallowed my own, my own works, and there, there I go, a judge again. And, and that Cruz is teaching both of us a deeper kind of repentance now, the very person we thought we'd need to help and we'd need to teach. Some, God is doing something in him in the underground in prison, and him coming out, and he's being our teacher and leading us in a much greater ways of tenderness among folks. So now Ramon is, is continuing to work with us with the underground ministries. Guys like Danny here, and Reuben, guys recently out of prison, that we get to practice resurrection, accompanying those coming out of the tombs. And so in a way, I get to see a little bit of what I always wanted. I wanted to see the dead raised. I wanted to see Jesus bring people out of the tombs. And I think we have an opportunity as churches today in an age of mass incarceration in America, 2.4 million people are incarcerated. But what if churches got to practice resurrection and embrace the very people that society wants to reject. We get to welcome them. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. That we really want to call churches into being part of prisoner reentry, of working together with prison chaplains, having relationships with those in the hells we've created, and seeing God welcome them out. And we welcome them into not only our churches, but our homes. Ramon, just on Christmas Day, brought these guys over to my house. My folks were in town. And this is how our family is growing. Underground Ministries, this is our mission to open new relationships of embrace and trust between prisoners and the communities to which they return for our mutual transformation. I want, I want people from my tribe to encounter more of the joy and the transformation and repentance that relationship with those in prison has affected. And those leaving prison need us as well. It happens together. 
That's repentance, the metanoia in Greek, is a new mind, a bigger mind. It's not just beating yourselves up for your private personal sins, but a whole new way of thinking. And that's what I want to close with. Oh, I have some cool other slides here. Just images inspiring people to like the new mind of opening up both from the prison mindset and our suburban mindsets into these letters and relationships with prisoners. If you can be part of that and know anyone who knows someone who's incarcerated, start writing a letter with them. We also have Underground Coffee if you want to check it out online, underground.coffee, that most churches are pretty addicted to a substance, and we'd like to be your dealer. <laughs> and, and because that's a beautiful way to start conversations in your church that we have in, underground in America, and how do we part of, be part of relationship with it? And it's a resurrection employment. They hire people coming out of prison. And so I would like folks to wonder, what, where are the people that you've been taught to stay away from? here in this town? And what would a step toward relationship look like? Not to save them or to teach them, but rather what kind of beautiful repentance might happen in you? What could undergo in you? How could you be transformed as you step towards the very folks? We were asking this at Northwestern yesterday. We had a smaller venue to ask questions and folks were saying questions about sexuality, race, politics, Drugs, these are the people who are taught to stay away from you. Think about who are those folks in your community and what would a step towards relationship look like for mutual repentance. So I just want to close with a, the most hopeful story for me in the last month. Remember my dad? I was picking on him earlier in my talk. Well, my dad was here at, at Christmas. This is just like a few minutes after the picture with Ramon and, and Danny and Ruben. And my, my dad, while he was staying with us for Christmas, he was late to the dinner table. My mom was saying, Steve, come to the table. Why, 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 put down that book. Why, why, why is this book you keep reading? It's Christmas. What are you doing, Steve? And I looked, and my dad had found Dead Man Walking off my shelf. And he was like, oh, bud, have you read this book? Like, yeah. I, I totally remember this early uh, memory of my childhood, the movie he, he came back from disgusted. I'm like, you're liking the book? He's like, oh, bud, this is good stuff. This is gospel right here, bud. <laughs> Like, look at this change that's happened in my dad. And he's like, you know what, I, I've, I've, I, I think I've completely changed my stance on the death penalty, son. And it wasn't through documentaries, it wasn't through politics, it wasn't even through arguing about Bible verses. It was relationships with people that I brought home from prison that he's grown to love and pray for on the email settings that we set out. He's driven to a drug and alcohol treatment facility with me. And when guys relapse and go back to prison, he's praying for them. And he's always texting me, hey, what's the address to that one prison where Nick's at? I want to write him a letter. And so it's relationship with those that we used to think were disposable and deserving of death, hell or prison. It's relationship with them that transforms our hearts and that even folks like my dad can change. And so here we are taking a Christmas picture with a, uh, my friend Sam, who just came home from 27 years of prison. And holding the, the little child, that's not his. That's a child of my friend Art, who just went off to 10 years in prison with sexual offenses. And that it's as we're in a new relationship together, our families change and become more diverse and we learn repentance together. And the kingdom of heaven begins to change all of us, not just those in prison, but my, even my family as well. So if we can close, I'd like to, sp to speak a word of prayer over you all and invite you to say the final words of blessing, Ramon. God, I know I called you and you, you heard me and you made me sit with with these people, with beautiful, noble people, after you took me out of that desert, God. 
but you've heard, you've heard me and you've shown me things that I could have not known. Things that were already in my heart that I had not summoned. Um, I pray for these young, young children of God that I've criticized so much, God. They are the only light left in this world. And you say that they're the ones who defeat the enemy. The one that I ask you for so much protection from so I can bless my enemies, God, because I know it's your will to love and deliver them. And you raise the path of, and the steps of that path, God, that where, where they came from, so that if they return back, they find nothing but only back to you, God. And it's them who carry, who carry those words, their feet carry those words, God. So I pray that you prepare a way for them so that through your path, God, they, they will always walk forth and their hands will always do your will and your command. Amen.